You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Lord and Master of my life, deliver me from the spirit of slothfulness, meddling, ambition, and vain talk. But bestow upon me your servant the spirit of purity, humility, patience, and love. Yes, O Lord and King, grant that I may be aware of my own sins and not to judge my brother, for thou art blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here, Annie. Mitchell. Hey, Father Hezekiah. I brought souvenirs What's to celebrate Palm Sunday. I got my palm. That's your palm? This is my palm. Is that what they give to you at your church? Yeah. Is there something wrong well, with I it? I mean, it's palm. a little bit old. I, I mean, brought my Palm Sunday branch. I, oh my gosh. Is that what you're going to carry around your church? Uh, I get something a little more fancy than this, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, my parishioners braid the palms. See, you take this and you braid this whole thing. Maybe I'll show it to you guys after um, after uh, Palm Sunday. They braid it all together into this big fancy bouquet. But anyways, yes, this I just cut down from outside my church. Uh, and you know what's great is the weather in the Holy Land. I'm going to stick this over here just for our decoration today for our study. Um, I'll, um, I'll stick it back here somewhere. Yeah. Hanging on my microphone. It's too big. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> here we go. The, Love it. Uh, Love it. <laughs> the um, the uh, the weather here in Sacramento, California, is very similar to the Holy Land, to, to Jerusalem and that whole yeah. area of Galilee. So a lot of the plants here are very similar. We'll be talking a little bit about myrtle branches today. It's just leafing out right now. Cool. Um, but uh, yes, myrtle branches, probably for structure, because we're going to talk about what they were doing with these branches in our study today. But here we go, Annie. Let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. So we are going to be focusing on simply Christ's entry into Jerusalem for this particular study, even though on, of course, Palm Sunday, those of us in the Roman Catholic tradition anyway, will also be cramming in the crucifixion. Uh, Yeah. So it is (laughs) our custom here at Sunday Gospel Reflection on Palm Sunday or in preparation for Palm Sunday to focus upon the gospel that's given to us for the blessing of the palms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though we're going to do the passion narrative, it's a lot to handle from a study standpoint. So we're going to be focusing on our Palm Sunday blessing of the palms gospel. Yes. So you think you can do 45 minutes to an hour just on this one particular gospel passage, Father? The question is not, can we fill up 45 minutes? The question is, can we get it all in? There's a lot here. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. There's a lot here. Absolutely. So let's jump in. For year C, we are reading the account because this is in all four gospels, correct, Father? Mm-hmm. That's right. uh, we are reading the account in Luke's gospel. So get out your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Good. Father's got his Bible ready to go. Glad to hear it. Glad to see it. And then the account begins Luke 19, verse 28 through Mm -hmm. 40. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get going. It says, 
Jesus proceeded on his journey up to Jerusalem. As he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said, go into the village opposite you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tethered on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone should ask you, why are you untying it? You will answer, the master has need of it. So those who had been sent went off and found everything just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying this colt? They answered, the master has need of it. So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks over the colt, and helped Jesus to mount. As he rode along, the people were spreading their cloaks on the, on the road. And now, as he was approaching the slope of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to praise God aloud with joy for all the mighty deeds they had seen. They proclaimed, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said in reply, I tell you, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. Such a cool story. Okay, now. Let's begin. I mean, always we want to get our context, right, Father? So what has been happening leading up to this triumphal entry into Jerusalem? So I'm going to, okay, first of all, where Jesus is, is critically important all during Holy Week. I'm going to encourage all of our participants to get serious in the coming weeks to really kind of like walk with Jesus. And there's no better way, of course, to walk with Jesus than to go to the Holy Land with the Institute of Catholic Culture. But we'll have to talk about that in the time uh, to come and see when we might be able to make some more pilgrimages to the Holy Land. However, for now, you're stuck to a map. And thank God you have access to, you know, Google and things like that, because you have a lot of opportunities to say, where are these places? So we've been talking about Jesus. He was, he was at Mount Tabor. He was up in the Galilee, right? Then he makes his way down, down the Jordan Valley, you know, doing some teaching, stopping in uh, Capernaum, Galilee area along the sea makes his way down to Jericho. And you'll see in your Bible, Luke chapter 19, verse one, he entered Jericho. Now, where is Jericho? Jericho is down the Jordan River, about a day's journey or so from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, you know, it's so, yeah, well, you get your map out. We're going to pull one up here for you. You can see this. Here's you can see the Jordan Valley, you can see Jericho here, and then Jerusalem over here. And so it's about a, a day's journey, and you're going to be walking up through these kind of hill, this hill country, up into, you know, the Judean hill country, yes, sure. up to Jerusalem. Again, about a day's journey or so. They would have been singing the Psalms of Ascent, very beautiful, about approaching the Holy Temple, about coming into the presence of God. And Jesus now kind of sets up camp. He knows what's mm -hmm. coming. He knows right. what's going to happen, right? He knows he's going to rise from the dead. Yeah. He knows he's going to be crucified. And so he spends these days now. And as you're reading your Bible, and I hope you're going to be doing so, reading through the passion narrative and so forth, and the context of that, he's going to make his way through Jericho up to Jerusalem. And now he's going to do, he's going to just kind of hang out. Where is he going to hang out? 
Well, of course, he's going to go to the temple because he's going to go upset some people. He's going to turn over some tables again. Sure. Yeah. He's going to do some teaching, but he's going to spend most of his time on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. So I'm going to pull up this side. This is, this is the Mount of Olives that you're seeing here. It's now covered in tombs, right? Whitewashed tombs. Why did they bury the dead here on the Mount, on the Mount of Olives? Because it was here. It was from, from this spot that the presence of God, the cloud of glory, ascended and then departed into heaven at the time of the Babylonian exile. I don't have it notated here in my Bible, but I'm just going to flip back very quickly with you to turn back to the prophet Ezekiel. And the prophet Ezekiel is going to give us the details of this ascent of uh, or departure of the glory cloud from Jerusalem. Okay, so here I am. Ezekiel chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 3. Okay. Remember, Ezekiel is prophesying the time of the Babylonian exile, just prior to the Babylonian exile, and he sees, prior to and during, he sees in his vision what takes place, and that is that the glory cloud of God, which had accompanied the people all through the Exodus and had made its presence in the Holy of Holies, it was the revelation of God's presence among his people. So, you know, you and I are thinking like, oh, yeah, the, the Shekinah glory. Right? This is what it is, the Shekinah glory, the overshadowing glory cloud, which yeah. we saw revealed on Mount Tabor, right? Remember the mm -hmm. cloud of glory descended yep. upon the Mount Tabor. Now, in Ezekiel, during the Babylon of Israel, 500 years, 600 years before the coming of Christ, departs from the temple in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherubim. Remember the cherubim are over the Ark of the Covenant. And this was the mercy seat of God. From the cherubim on which it rested to the threshold of the house. That is to the doorway to the temple. And then in chapter 11. Chapter 11 verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city and the spirit lifted me up and brought me to the vision of the spirit of the god uh, into chaldea that is to babylon to the exile and the glory cloud departs from there okay so at the time of the coming of christ remember and this is important because of course who is the glory of god in the gospel of john chapter one Jesus is the glory of God. So when Jesus comes in the temple, it's the glory of God returning to the temple after 600 years. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, so Jesus chooses this mountain, this on the Eastern side intentionally. Okay. Because they believe that when the coming of the Messiah happened, it would happen. The glory, the glory, the presence of God would return just as it had departed. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Now you're probably firing all those things in your mind about the ascension of Christ because the same location is the, here, Bethphage, Take, turn with me to Luke chapter, Luke chapter uh, 24, verse 50, Luke chapter 24, verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven, there's the ascension, so, right. so you guys, you should be going, oh, Lord, have mercy, this is an important place, right, this, right. I'm going to pull up a map here for you, on the screen to just show you this area okay here's bethany mm -hmm. here's bethphage and here's jerusalem and the temple you're like well i really don't know how far this is well ex except father has guys something really nice, nice for you and that is 
one mile, right? This is not that far. This is probably, you know, about a mile here or not less than a mile. And then about another mile down to the temple. And it's a very steep hill going down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley here. Uh-huh. Here's the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to begin suffering his passion, right? Yeah. He's going to be arrested. Kidron Valley, the Hinnom or the Valley of Gehenna is the trash valley. Mm-hmm. And up here, this has everything to do with our story now today about the entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. Up here is the upper city or Mount Sion, which in those days was the, an Essene quarter. It was where the Essenes lived. And mm-hmm. I'm going to have something to say about that in just a minute. Of course, G- here's Caiaphas's house. Okay. Mm-hmm. And remember why, why is Caiaphas's house important? Because Jesus is going to be arrested and taken there. Yeah. So he's going to be taken from the garden of Gethsemane, but up here also is the upper room where you see kind of John's house right in this area. I don't think that room is noted in this map, but right where you see John's house is basically where the upper room is. So think about it. The last supper, Mm-hmm. They make their way most likely around here, avoiding the, the, the Temple Mount and all of the ritual cleansing that would have to take place if they got close to the Temple Mount. They would have crossed the, well, this is called the, the Cheesemakers Valley, but it's pretty much non-existent today, kind of filled in. It's there, but nevertheless, they would have come here and then crossed the Kidron Valley, made their way up and into the Garden of Gethsemane. But for our story today, here we are in Bethany and Bethphage. Jesus, remember, raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's mentioned here. We're going to hold our, our Bibles in Luke. Well, I can get rid of this now. Well, except I was going to tell you, he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's then, right. he's re- arrested, he's then taken. So he goes back and forth. He makes his way there. Yeah. He's arrested, he's taken right back up to Mount Sion and so forth, okay? And hold your hand in Luke chapter 19. Turn with me to the gospel of John, the gospel of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And of course that resurrection of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus happens in chapter 11. So it's just before, as many have pointed out, the raising of Lazarus, much like the transfiguration on Mount Tabor, functions as bookends to Holy Week. Yeah. Yes, the raising of Lazarus foretells for us, as the church fathers tell us, foretells for us the truth of the universal resurrection of God's people. That what we are about to see happen at the Passover, what we're about to see happen when Jesus rises from the doom is not only for Jesus, it is for all of us. Yes. And the raising of Lazarus foretells this for us and strengthens us for the journey ahead. So you're asking what, what's going on? What's the context? There's your context, Annie. Okay. So that map was handy because I wanted to ask about how far that trek was from Bethany into Jerusalem, yes. because I, I mean, why would Jesus or the master, I guess we should say, why would the master have need of a cult for such a short journey? I'm glad you asked this question, Annie, because the the question of this cult is, first of all, super important in itself, but points to a larger problem we have, and that is regarding our concept of Palm Sunday, being right. very clean Americans, trimming little branches and handing them out, like, show me your little branch there. 
There you go. That's our, our common experience, right? Everybody, little scissors, and we clip the little thing, and we save the money. Greener than this. Yeah. This is why I went and hacked off a palm branch because this, my friends, represents much more what would have been going on on Palm Sunday. What do I mean by that? Well, okay, first, first of all, regarding the palm, but regarding everything, all these details matter. Yeah. All of the details matter. And you got to focus on all the details and ask some important questions. Why? Why the cold? Why the branches? Why, 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 why? And then you'll start to, in your study, start to benefit. You'll harvest the gifts that are there for us. Yeah. So let's work through these, these details. And in the first detail you're wondering about is this cult. And I'll say this, first of all, everything here is intentional. Jesus specifically stops the procession and mm -hmm. he stops it and says, get me a cult for, for a particular reason. And when he does this, people lose their minds Yeah. because what's the big debate going on in Jerusalem at the time? If you go back and read your scripture, the chapters before, what's the big question? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? And don't just use this word Messiah. Right. Is he the guy that we've been waiting for 600 years to come out and pull out the whoop-de-doozle on these heathen Romans yeah. that are enslaving us or that are oppressing us? Is he the guy that's finally going to give us what we want? which is political freedom, financial freedom, right? all these American wants, right? All right. this like, is a common human experience. Is he the guy? Is he the king? Yeah. We start, the word Messiah is a bad word. Stop using it because it doesn't mean anything to you most, most of the time, right? Messiah, the Messiah is literally the anointed one. And the anointed one par excellence, when they're talking about the Messiah of the Jews, they're talking about the king. Is he the son of David? Is he the rightful heir to the throne of David? Is he going to come out and drop kick Herod? Is he going to drive the Romans out and restore the kingdom of David and the glory of the people? That's what they're asking, which is why they do what they do and why he does what he says. So he's coming to Jerusalem. The crowds are there for what? For what? Passover, right? For Passover, Passover, one of the three great feasts of the Jews in which all males, if it was at all possible, were to go to Jerusalem. The place would have been an absolute rock concert. I'm not kidding you. Crazy. The hotels are filled. People are sleeping on the roof. They're camping out in the Mount of, uh, Garden of, 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 of Gethsemane, okay? They're, they're, they're camped out all over the Mount of Olives, and they're, they're waiting for them. And they know that if he is the Messiah, he's going to return the way the glory cloud of God departed. And that's exactly why Jesus chose this mountain. This is exactly why he came over the Mount of Olives. And when he did, and he saw the crowds gathered, he knew it was time. Yeah, I mean, he knew it was time before, but he knew this was going on. And yeah. he says, stop. I'm going into Jerusalem riding on a colt. Why does he do this? To understand the issue, got to go back to 1 Kings. So turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Here we go. That's in the Old Testament Catholics. 1 Kings chapter 1. When David is on his deathbed, and I, you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to go further than second, first Kings. I'm going to also go back to second Samuel seven. So if you want to just flip very quickly to second Samuel seven, because really this is one of the most important biblical passages of the old Testament that drove the expectation of the people 
regarding the coming of the Messiah. Second Samuel chapter seven, regarding the building of the temple. And remember, this is a big question. It's going to come up in Jesus' trial. Yeah. He said he was going to destroy the temple. Of course, he never said he was going to destroy the temple. He said, when you destroy this temple, and the temple he's talking about is his body, right? Right, right. Because the temple isn't built out of stones. The temple's built by God. It's meant to be us, Adam and Eve, restored breathe, with the breath of God, the glory cloud of God breathed into us. Yeah. So here you are in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and he will come forth from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house by my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. The mm -hmm. son of God, the son of David will also be the, the son, son of God. God. And that man's name is what, Annie? Solomon. Solomon. Solomon is the son of David. Yes. Mm -hmm. Solomon built the house of God. So when you hear in the New Testament that Jesus is the son of David, yes, you're saying to yourself, okay, it's the expected Messiah, but the expected Messiah is Solomon restored. Yes. Mm, yeah. Right. The fulfillment of Solomon. He's going to come and build the house of God, the temple of God. Yeah, in three days. Yeah. Right. This wow. is what's going yeah. to happen. So, in a moment here, they're going to start crying out to the son of David, right? Solomon, yeah. because they know who this guy is. And Jesus says, Stop, get me a colt. Why? First Kings chapter one, when, when David is about to die, first Kings chapter one, verse 23. David's on his deathbed, and he says, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to him, take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Now, where is Gihon? I'm going to pull this map up for you again, the one I showed you before. Here it is, okay? And here... At the, in the city of David, you can see the spring of Gihon. The spring of Gihon is the only living spring that is gushing water in the city of Jerusalem. It's also, by the way, one of the rivers mentioned in Genesis chapter mm -hmm. 2. Right. As flowing out of Eden, right? So the spring of Gihon is very important. It was the water that was used during the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a sacred place, right? Living water. So now Jesus says, stop. Just as David commanded his son to ride on his own mule down to, the, to Gihon to be anointed in the city of David, I'm riding into Jerusalem. And when Jesus does this, the people who are all asking the question with a big question mark, is he the Messiah? You know the emoji? We're oh, yeah. On they're a head blow. Blowing, yeah. Right? Yeah. This is it at this moment. And when he does this, what is their reaction? They start taking off their cloaks, throwing it on the ground, and cutting down branches, waving them in the air, and chanting, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A direct quotation from Psalm 118. Mm. Now, I'm putting together a lot of things that we're going to tie together in just a moment. Psalm 118. We're going to flip there very quickly. Psalm 118. You with me, It's Annie? a long psalm. Look at Psalm 118, verse 26. Actually, verse 25. Hosanna, literally save us. Yahweh who saves, save us. We beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord. We beseech thee, give us success. Verse 26, blessed is he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. They begin ripping down branches, chanting Psalm 118, and declaring him to be the son of David. Now, with all of that, you have to realize that there is an expectation that this is exactly what would happen when the Messiah comes, okay? And I'm going to stop. We're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to turn to the prophet Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. But I'm going to read to you a quotation from one of my favorite modern scholars, Virgil Pixner, in his book, Jesus in Jerusalem. And this is what Virgil Pixner says. It adds a whole other layer behind the scene. And it's, a, it's about a page long, page and a half. So bear with me, mm -hmm. but it's just worth reading. He says this, the Passover feast drew near and many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before Passover. Each person was expected to submerge his body in living water of ritual bath before he could partake in the Passover meal, particularly the Essenes. We're careful to observe this rite. Now, it's very interesting. Up on the Mount of, of, of Mount Sion, that, that knoll, that upper part of the city of Jerusalem I showed you, the Essene yes. Quarter, the Essene Quarter is all on the entry area where the gate of the Essene Quarter would have been, where some Teresa Cotter and others, we've jumped over that barbed wire fence into that archaeological <laughs> dig. Remember King Hezekiah's cool. gate that we found in there? Okay. All in that area are mikvah baths. And, and when we go to the Jerusalem, we go into the, into the fields over there and they're all there still. Like all the tourists are in the city, but up there, you can still see the original mikvah baths that Jesus would have been, would have washed in before he entered in the Essene up into the upper room. Okay. Wow. So here we go. Uh, and you can see the waterways too, all covered in this kind of like a clay covering that would have made it water, you know, watertight. They're still yeah. there. It's all under, wow. you got to pull weeds out. And you start to discover the old mikvah baths from the dating for the time of Christ. It's amazing. Okay. Okay. This submerging is not for the cleansing of the body, but for the cleansing of one's ritual impurities. Before this, these ritual ablutions, there were many other preparations to be made for the great feast. Four days earlier, on the 10th of Nisan, the Paschal lamb was selected and examined for flawlessness. The removal of all leavened bread and preparations of food for the Passover meal had to be taken care of. Pilgrims from all parts of the country gradually crowded into Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen numbers that scholars have, you know, said how many people would, thousands and thousands and thousands. It's a tiny city. The place would have been overrun. Yeah. While John, whom we have followed for the most part until now in this book, sets the triumphal entry of Jesus after the meal in Bethany. The synoptics report the entry immediately after his arrival at the Mount of Olives. Luke, who we're reading today, 
Luke, who no doubt visited Jerusalem himself, reveals such precise topographical uh, knowledge about the entry route, which is lacking in his reports of Galilee, that we give him the preference. Luke probably based his narrative on Mark, but his personal knowledge of Jerusalem and surroundings allowed him to be more precise. All evangelists describe how Jesus made his entry riding on a donkey, which two of his disciples found for him near Bethany. The synoptics called this place Bethphage. The reports on the search for the search of the donkey in Luke chapter 19 and the quest for the room where the Last Supper would take place resemble one another so much that they are probably based on the same source. Bethphage, the village neighboring Bethany, might well have been one of the three Essene places mentioned in the temple scrolls. Did Jesus have friends there? Maybe old family ties. The animal was willingly put at his disposal simply because the disciples who took it said the Lord needs it. Jesus mounted the donkey. Pilgrims were often welcomed by groups swinging branches, particularly, and this is what we're going to talk about, particularly on the Feast of Tabernacles. Hmm. The ride began uphill. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, rejoicing, Hosanna, shouting, filled the air. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is, is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. Gradually, this city came into the pilgrim's view. Much as today, it was a fascinating sight at that time. On the eastern hill of Jerusalem, the city wall with the golden gate arose. And behind it, the whole temple compound with the temple at its center and surrounding walls and buildings, beautifully restructured and enlarged by Herod. To the back of it, above the Tyropean Valley, the ancient palace of the Hasmoneans, which now served as the Praetorium, was visible. And far in the distant, Herod's upper palace with its three enormous towers. The second wall north of the city partly hid the garden, the public garden, where in a quarry area, a hill had remained called Golgotha. As Jesus saw the splendor of the beloved city and heard the crowd cheering him enthusiastically, he became aware of the approaching agony and suddenly tears welled up in his eyes. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, quoting Luke chapter 19, verse 42. Wow. After the rejoicing crowd had crossed the Kidron Brook, Jesus entered the city and went from there to the temple. It was late in the evening when he returned to Bethany with the 12. Jesus continually makes this area his home as well as, as on Mount Sion. It's interesting, Annie, here at the beginning, it says, it says in our passage, go into the village opposite you. Yeah. What is the village opposite then? The village opposite that they would have seen would have been Mount Sion. Mm. And Barjol Pixner's point here regarding the Essen community is critically important. In another place, it says that he, they saw a man carrying a water jar. Yes. And, right. that, and, and what men carried water jars in the middle of the day? Only the Essen community because the Essen men were celibates. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been the women carrying the jars. So the point, the mo most important thing about Barjol Pixar's insight is that certainly Jesus had friends in the Essene community. Otherwise, the Essene community would never have let them use the upper room. In fact, it is to that community that his apostles go after, this, after the, the passion. 
That's where they stay from the time of Pascha, Easter, all the way to the Ascension and afterwards to Pentecost. Mm -hmm. They are living among the Essenes. Yeah. And so it is important to notice that, as he points out, that most likely the man that owned this donkey knew Jesus. And when he heard Jesus was coming, he said, of course, give him, give him the donkey. Then he mounts it and the people lose their mind. And this is the second point that these branches, which were carried by the people and this song, which was chanted was used for one of the feasts, not Passover, but the feast of tabernacles. And this is why I want to go back to Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Okay. Okay. Turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah is just kind of toward the end of your old Testament. If you get to Maccabees and you kind of go backwards you're going to find Zechariah there he's one of the what would consider one of the minor prophets although honestly not so minor (laughs) chapter 9 verse 9 rejoice greatly O daughter Sion shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem lo your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he humble and riding on an ass on a colt the foal of an ass zechariah is prophesying the return of god's people from babylon and he prophesies that when the messiah comes this is what he would do now you say well that's nice when you realize that jesus did this intentionally right yeah the people of god are are studying what it's going to look like when the messiah returns he's going to come riding And so Jesus intentionally stops. What else does Zechariah tell us? Zechariah chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 8. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern, half of the western sea. It shall continue summer and winter. And the Lord, the Lord himself will become your king. Over all the earth, on that day, the Lord will be one in his name, one. Then, in verse 16, on that day, when the Messiah comes, everyone that survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Messiah, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews believed that when the Messiah came, that all other feast days, the entire liturgical cycle would be dynamited. And the only feast that would remain would be the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles comes to us from the book of Leviticus chapter 23. I'm going to give you a couple passages. Leviticus chapter 23. And we're not going to turn there. Well, you can. You want to turn there, Annie? Sure. Leviticus, let's go. Leviticus 23. Leviticus is easy enough to find. All right, fine. Leviticus 23. This gives us the, the chapter 23 gives us the harvest festivals of the Jews. And in verse 33, talks about this feast of tabernacles. Chapter 23, verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel on the 15th day of this seventh month, And for seven days is the Feast of Booths. Remember, we talked about this regarding the transfiguration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the first day shall be a convocation, and you shall do no laborious works, a day of rest. Seven days you shall present offerings by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Okay? Come down to verse 39 with me. 
on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land. So there's your first level of the feast of the Feast of Tabernacles, a harvest level. There's right. always a natural layer. The first mm -hmm. layer for the Jews is always kind of a, the harvest layer, what's going on in nature, right? Sure. Is the most ancient level or commemoration. So it's a harvest festival when they, festival, when they produce in the produce of land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day, you shall have a solemn rest. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm, mm. and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the book, brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord seven days. So let me tell you what's going on. What they would do, what the Jews would do, is they would build huts on top of their houses. And they would live inside those huts for the whole of the eight days of the feast. And during the feast, each day, they would take pitchers of water from the spring of Gihon and take them up, big, huge golden urns, and pour them onto the, uh, uh, the altar in the temple until all the water flowed out, like Ezekiel was saying, out of the wall of the thing, recreating the, the, uh, the river of, of life from the Garden of Eden, yes? They would carry branches, and they would live inside these huts made of branches. What's this look like if I'm living inside this, Annie? Yeah, it looks like a hut. Like a garden, like right? A garden, yeah. Like a re the restoration of paradise, God's original plan for his people. They would carry fruit in their hands. It's a symbol of the tree of, of life. And they would chant Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The second layer of this feast is given to us in chapter 23 of Leviticus. It says, verse 42. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All that are native to Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So what does it commemorate? That harvest feast, but it also commemorates God's protection of them during the time of the Exodus when they're crossing the desert. There was always water, food, and they would find the oasis. They would always find the place of the covering of God and the cloud of God would overshadow them, right? So there's your second level of the feast commemorating the time of the Exodus. Mm -hmm. But there's a third level to this feast that is why the, re the reason why they chanted Psalm 118. And that is because it was a harvest feast, it was the great final harvest feast of the year and the, that the Jews would celebrate in the fall. It became the annual commemoration of the enthronement of the king. Yeah, because oh. if you're king, and you say, I want to have a birthday once a year. I want to celebrate my kingship once a year. I want all the people to love me once a year. When are you going to do it? You're going to do it when everything's great, right? Yeah, when the president absolutely. of the United States doesn't get up and go on parades, when we have an economic downturn, right? or at least if he's smart, he doesn't. <laughs> he gets out there and goes on parades when everything's going well, right? So each year when everything's going well and the harvest is in, he would say, huh, this is my feast. <laughs> And they would celebrate the enthronement of the king then with the Feast of Tabernacles annually. But whenever there was a new king to be enthroned, they would use the rites from the Feast of Tabernacles as their party. They would oh. run around with branches, waving them in the air, chanting Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why is this important? Because at the moment when Jesus said, stop the, stop the entry, get me the cult, the people realize exactly what he's claiming. Hmm. And they throw off their preparation for Passover because they know that Passover is going to pass away. And they wow. begin celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which remembers God's dwelling among his people and his protection during the time of the Exodus. Mm -hmm. 
and remembering Zechariah chapter 9 and chapter 14, that Jesus, or say the Messiah would come riding on a colt, and that Messiah would be the son of David, and 2 Samuel 7 says he would also be the son of God. And with the emoji head blowing off, they ripped off the branches and proclaimed him to be the Messiah. And what only can make this more beautiful and, 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 and intensify our understanding of this is to realize who's standing around. That not only the Jewish authorities, but also the Roman authorities. Romans, yeah. And to say that Jesus is the king is to commit treason. Yeah? Yeah. This moment in the Gospel of John, the, the Jews throw up their hands and they say, look, what are we going to do now? The entire world has gone after him. Wow. And to this, Jesus comes into Jerusalem with a chanting, Hosanna to the son of David. The king has come. Wow. Well, where's that crowd a week later, though, Father? <laughs> Well, this is, this is what takes place, right? We, we hear this gospel now proclaimed the blessing of the palms, and we're about to walk into church and chant, crucify him, crucify him. I want to share with you a quotation from Father Alexander Schmeyman. I know we're, our, uh, our, our time is a bit limited today, but this is what Father uh, Schmeyman says. Palm Sunday, the entrance of our Lord into Jerusalem, has the overall theme of a triumphal victory. Uh, he's saying that this entering to Jerusalem foreshadows Jesus's ultimate triumphal victory as he's mm -hmm. going to come out of the tomb. Yeah. Palm Sunday announces the victory of the triumph of the kingdom of God as the acceptance by the world of its only king, Jesus Christ. In the life of Jesus, the solemn entrance into the holy city was the only visible triumph. Up to that day, he consistently rejected all attempts to glorify him. But six days before the Passover, he not only accepted to be glorified, he himself provoked and arranged this glorification by doing what the prophet Zechariah announced. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on, a, on an ass colt. He made it clear that he wanted to be acclaimed and acknowledged as the Messiah, the king and the redeemer of Israel. And the gospel narratives stress all these messianic features the palms and the Hosanna, the acclamation of Jesus as the son of David and the king of Israel. The history of Israel is now coming to its end. Such is the meaning of this event. For the purpose of that history, the purpose of the history of Israel was to announce and prepare for the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. the advent of the Messiah. And now it is fulfilled. For the king enters his holy city and in him, all prophecies, all expectations find their fulfillment. He, on this day, inaugurates his kingdom. Very beautiful, Annie. Yeah. This uh, feast we have in front of us. Yeah. And to think, I mean, just connecting it with Palm Sunday of the Lord's Passion. I mean, I know we're focused on the, the Palm blessing here but to think about his kingdom and being enthroned on the cross yeah there's a, a few days later there's a beautiful the eucharistic prayer of saint john chrysostom it's so beautiful and i and i'll just share with you this one paragraph just before just before the the institution he says this 
With these blessed powers, O Master, who loves mankind, we too cry out and say, Holy are you and all holy, you and your only begotten Son and your all Holy Spirit. Holy are you and all holy and magnificent is your glory, who so loved your world as to give your only begotten Son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but may have eternal life. When he had come and fulfilled all that was appointed him to do for our sake, on the night on which he was delivered up, or rather delivered himself up for mm. the life of the world, taking bread in his holy, spotless, and blameless hands, giving thanks and blessing, sanctifying and breaking it. He gave it to his disciples and apostles. And wow. then this, the, the anaphora continues, the Eucharistic prayer continues. I point that out to you because while he was arrested and while he was delivered up, he did so willingly. He provoked, as, as Father Alexander Shemaman says, he provoked the moment. Mm -hmm. he, he brought about his own glorification willingly. And the people ripping down those branches and singing Hosanna in the highest did so willingly. Yes? Yeah. But let us also remember that they willingly chanted, crucify him, crucify him. I want to encourage all of our participants uh, here in this study today, when you go to mass this coming Sunday and the palms are there, first of all, you know, during our COVID lockdown at the Institute, you know, when all the churches were closed on, so many were closed, sadly, I encouraged you to, to make your own, you know, yep, festival, I remember it. bind yeah. the festal branches. Yeah. So I encourage you to do that. It's one thing to go in and have, you know, this person, the usher hand you a little, you know, thing. It's, a, it's another <laughs> thing to take the time to actually make the festal branches, right? It is customary to make these out of willow, out of, uh, this is a myrtle branch that I have growing outside, out of palms and so forth. No matter where you live, there's branches around you, unless, you know, you still live in places like, uh, you know, St. Louis, where there's no leaves on the trees yet. <laughs> um no, i'm kidding i was just visiting st louis um no but but to make if you can some festal branches and then when you come to church grab some of those blessed palms and not just one grab a handful of palms and um and then and then hold those throughout the liturgy don't let them with that's your symbol of victory it's your sign that jesus is the king and then he's going to come and dwell in our midst as God did among his people at the time of the Exodus, as he did with his people at the time of the building of the temple, the hand of Solomon, as he did with his people at the entry into Jerusalem. He's coming to be with us. It is not by accident that the church in her wisdom, in our liturgical expression of our faith, chants at every liturgy, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Why? Because it is, these, it is this proclamation that the church of the Old Testament believed would be the only thing that would remain when the Messiah came. That right. God would truly come and dwell among his people, which he does every time we sing those beautiful words. He comes, our Eucharistic King comes to be with us, to dwell in our midst. So I encourage you this, this Palm Sunday, make those festal branches your proclamation. Hold them proudly in your hand. Proclaim that he is in true, truly is the Messiah who is to come. He truly is our king. 
and that we willingly submit to his kingship, the laws of his kingdom. And of course, the law of his kingdom is love, to always be a people who give our life to one another as he has given his life to us. May God bless you on this beautiful Palm Sunday as we sing the great Hosanna together and welcome the King of glory, preparing ourselves now for the resurrection of Christ and the universal resurrection of all peoples. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.